So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the acquisition that we've been uh, working on. Uh, we closed on fogged in bookkeeping on uh, right at the end of December. And um, we also last year we uh, closed on um, Saturday uh, consulting and training and uh, uh, accounting services. You know, there over the last three, four years, it's been somewhat vogue uh, in our industry because the the macro, the backdrop, it's there. You have a retiring workforce. You have um, firm owners that are moving on. And, you know, I don't blame them. This is a lot of work. You know, you're for many for many of our peers, they're like on 24 seven, right? Drop of a dime, a customer calls and we're going after it, right? We're going to deal with it. Cost of capital was has been historically quite low for the last 12 years. Obviously, the cost of capital today changes the dynamics and the cost of capital to do any transaction. And it's been hard to find great team members and acquiring a, a business. Forget about accounting, right? Just acquiring a business brings talent. And when you bring when you bring on three, four, five new team members in one shot, that's like months of accounting, you know, that's months of employee, you know, recruiting, employee onboarding, months. So if you're able to like bring on five people in one shot, you've essentially saved yourself a lot of time and time is money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of the FAS Evolution, where we're helping bookkeepers, CPAs, accountants, fractional CFOs elevate their practice. Acquisitions are not easy. Right. It's a little bit of like in the beginning, you have this like strike zone that, OK, my old boss used to tell me back in corporate, he's like, Dan, bring me deals in the strike zone. I don't want deals here in the corner, top right hand corner. I don't want to deal with deals in the strike zone. And you can do that. Right. You can do that. You get to know you get to know the, the owner. You get to know the team members. You get to at least kick, kick the tires on who the customers are, what type of customers. But until you actually get in there and start getting sort of unraveling things, and then once you unravel, then, you know, the old, like, if you fix it, you know, if you break it, you got to fix it kind of thing. Then you're bringing it back together to, to integrate mm -hmm. into our systems and processes. It's it's a lot of work. And our we're fortunate. We've been through a few of these. Um, we're not, we know what the outside, you know, we know what it's going to look like. Yeah. I think one of the things, like, as we put our, like, acquisition playbook together, meaning, like, not just, like, finding the targets, finding the acquisition uh, books, uh, uh, businesses, but actually integrating them. And how do we do that, right? You know, it, it comes down to, like, kind of, like, four things, right? You got to integrate the team members, the employees. You got to integrate the systems and technology. You got to integrate the customers. And you got to integrate the owners. Uh, or if they're, if they're not, don't really want to stay, um, you know, find a way for them to transition all of those three things employees, technology, and customers, and then find that, you know, move on to your next adventure. Yeah. So I don't know what the next like 24, 36 months are going to look like in this, in this industry. Um, the, the favorable dynamics that were there uh, two years ago, or even four years ago, I mean, we did our first acquisition back in 2015. Um, and, and we, there was a lot of intent. I mean, all, all of these, I can say that there's been strategic intent. 
Um, I would say Fagdian Bookkeeping, the intent there was more about uh, the team and diversifying the customer portfolio. I, I think for us, uh, that's always been important because we have been somewhat tech, tech heavy, uh, venture backed heavy. And, uh, you know, with capital markets in disarray and there's a shift in uh, the cost of risk, we didn't want our, all of our eggs in one basket there. I mean, granted, we had about maybe 20% of the customer base that was really not in that bucket. But this, this feels good, right? Um, the customers feel good. The team feels good. Uh, I would even say with Heather Satterley's acquisition, what it was less about the, it was actually, I would say that one was less about the customers. And it was really more about, okay, how do we get into the world of process improvement, higher level consulting and implementation, and then getting closer to the accounting community because we know that there's opportunity to improve their workflow. And Heather was like, Heather was embedded in that, right? And so even that was a great, that was a great oh, yeah. acquisition, even For though sure. Heather's not here, like, it, it we were texting to... with her over the weekend uh, about her her sister's uh, documentary, right? Guantanamo Bay. It was great. Awful, awful there, but but good story. Um, but uh, you know the that allowed us to really launch what is now AppStream for our company, and it, it's built a service level to other accounting firms that we wouldn't have been able to really do organically. Yeah, and you and with that, I, I we were able to attract talent in order to not just stand up that type of business, but be able to give Corey. So Corey happens to be the general manager of AppStream and Process Improvement Consulting. It allowed us to afford not just afford we had the cash, mm -hmm. but actually people wanted to come here, and that and that was that's a huge win because let's face it. 12 months ago, we we're like, okay, now great. Now that we got this new business, who the hell is going to service this? Yeah. Who's going to like implement this? And so over 12 months, we've built out AppStream and the customer base is growing. I think maybe we have about a dozen customers and, and but the, 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 you know, the, the, the mojo of the newest customers is like, you know, like not, not trying to convince people, you know, Hey, actually you need this. You feel like this is your need, but you need to be serviced over here. Right. I mean, those are some of the early conversations, right? I need like help with my accounting process and procedure. Oh, let's do some no code, right? They're now coming in and be like, I want no code. I want AppStream, right? And here's here's my cluster. Help me help me fix it, right? So it feels a lot uh, more robust and, and and valuable when customers are coming in with the knowledge and the industry, you know, the, the market's just that much more down the road on no code accounting, right? And which is the whole reason why we built out AppStream. I would say it was a perfect fit for us Again, even though Heather is not here and Heather decided to move on uh, and we, we supported that, it, it, it was a springboard for us. And more importantly, unlike other potential acquirers maybe for that business, we actually had a sandbox that we could practice. So for the last, call it, I don't know, from April until October or even until December, because we really weren't out there pumping this up, we were able to use our own accounting mm -hmm. department and finance department to be the sandbox for AppStream. So it was great. We we, we could stay competitive on deals that maybe would have slipped through, um, maybe for pricing or how we do what we do. Corey's team was able to 
figure out a way to improve the workflow so that we would not be spending as much time performing basic basic bookkeeping tasks. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there, there are efforts split between actual uh, accounting work and automating some of that and, and as well as accounting firm operations, right? From sales to uh, engagement agreements all the way through the, the, the process, change orders, et cetera. Like it's, uh, I've, I've loved seeing how they've taken a look, not at just how to do accounting, but how to run an accounting firm. Right. And so here we are, we sort of fast forward uh, to today. Um, you know, I've had a few firm owners reach out and be like, hey, I just got this email uh, from Megan. Uh, she's resigning May 31st. You know, is everything all right? It's like, yes, everything is perfectly fine. It's it's OK. Like this, this company is not for everybody. And what gets me pumped is the. 60 plus relationships, customers that we are bringing on. And some are like very large restaurant groups, which we're stoked for. And we're, we're retaining, we're bringing on and we're retaining three amazing new team members, Mary, Haley, Lacadia, and they're fitting really well with the culture. Um, so excited for that, excited for Megan's next steps. Um, and I'm not going to say like there's another one on the horizon because anytime you buy, and this was like two businesses literally in less than 12 months, you do have to like let the dust settle, smell yep. the roses a little bit, right? And focusing on other areas of opportunity for growth, such as organic growth. And one of the things we are finding, and I don't know about the rest of you, is we're finding opportunities for acqui-hires. We're finding opportunities to actually cherry pick portfolios of uh, businesses whose owners have decided enough's enough. I'm done. I'm going to go drink some uh, cocktails by the pool. Yeah, I think you know, looking ahead to like not just like what is our next like opportunity, but um, what does the market for acquisitions look like in this space? In this space being like the, you know, call it the cloud accounting space, right? Because over the 10 years that we've been in this, just under, um, you know, the whole in, whole industry has changed. It's now not like a, a challenge to sell customers on the cloud accounting, right? Uh, where it was before. Um, and with that has come a lot of opportunity. So there's a lot of firms out there now that are, uh, whether they're one, one person, three people, six people, 10 people, um, Right, the majority are probably under 20, 25 heads. And if you've grown to 20 people, like you've, you've gotten through a lot of hurdles, right? But I think for the next foreseeable future, like what do the deals look like? Uh, and I, I would say one would be those acquihires because that's a, a lot easier to manage, right? You're, you're dealing with one person and their book of business, right? And either they're looking to exit out of the industry or they're looking to just exit out of the responsibility, right? And that's that's a little bit easier to deal with than, than five people, 10 people, 15 people. Um, with those five, 10 or 15 people, you get a lot more scale. Like we were just talking about, like finding 10 people in one fell swoop and the revenue to support them um, is not something you're gonna be able to do organically with recruiting new talent and training new talent, right? Because every five people you bring in, probably one, two, move on. Three of them 
are not going to be like a good fit for uh, a cloud accounting business because it's, you know, you're popping into 10 customers a week, right? 15 customers a week. It's hard. It's not easy to do. So when you think about buy for Q, so when you think about the purchase price, just generally speaking, you almost have to like bifurcate it, right? You are paying for an accelerated HR strategy that would otherwise have taken you like 18 months to execute. And then you are also taking a portion of that revenue or that purchase price more like it uh, and allocating it towards what is that immediate gratification in other words, I don't have to wait uh, for that customer acquisition cost. I don't have to wait for uh, the velocity of my sales pipeline, right? You get that in one full swoop. And if you'll really look at the purchase price from those two angles, and depending where we are in the cycle, you're going to weigh more to, you know, you're going to weigh more the purchase price to the people versus the customer. So mm -hmm. for us, you know, it is acquiring a business is a tough pill to swallow. And we don't, it's not something we take lightly uh, because one, you know, the type of lending that's available for firms like ours without going to private equity, um, you know, it's a variable rate loan and uh, it's a 10 year duration uh, maturity and or term, but it's in a rising interest rate environment. Damn that the cost of that acquisition goes up pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, uh, we'll geek out to this. So sort of a uh, page from the uh, business school playbook, right? If you all remember Porter's Five Forces. Um, one of the things like to think about in this business, because Porter's Five Forces, right? And I'm reading it off uh, uh, this website because I pulled this up in front of one of our peers today. And I said, oh, what you got here is uh, the potential for new entrants. Like, what is the barrier to entry in this industry? And uh, this individual is like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to have to pull that out <laughs> during the podcast. Anyways, so Porter's Five Forces, it's all about understanding the competitive advantage um, in, in a specific industry. And so number one is competition in the industry. Well, guess what? There's a ton of competition in this industry. Ton of competition. Like, let's not let's not let's not fool ourselves. Let's not like think like we're the only ones on the block. We're not. And it's not just you know uh, firms, right? It's different ways of servicing, and the competition is the customer does it themselves, right? So it's not just freelancers, top exactly. 100, uh, big four owners. Uh, you know, you got the owners. cloud accountants. Um, Number two, potential for new entrants, right? What is that barrier to entry to uh, flip on a switch uh, back in the day, put your sign out the front of the uh, door? Uh, third, the power of suppliers. It's actually kind of an interesting one because it depends on the angle that you look at suppliers. Now, I always like, I like to look back to the old SIPOC, right? Suppliers, inputs, processes, mm -hmm. outputs, et cetera. And when I think of suppliers in our business, what's the one thing that you... No, it goes to like software. It goes to in, Intuit, Gusto, you know, what is your general ledger? What's your payroll? How are you paying bills? You know, all of, all of those pieces of the tech puzzle. So what if I say, I actually disagree. I don't think that the power of suppliers in this industry is really these third-party tech stack partners because, yes, there's one or two that probably have a lot of power, the Intuits, but everybody else is like second tier and just waiting for a consolidation in the industry. The power of supplier in this business is employees. You can't get up to bat without employees. And employees today, and probably for the foreseeable future, do have a lot of power, right? The third is, or the fourth is the power of the customer. 
like the power of the customer in this business, that's a tough one because yes, it's all about the customer, but there's a lot of customers out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of small, medium-sized businesses. And we have just come off the one of the biggest waves of business formations that this country has probably ever seen since like World War II. We're not competing against each other yet, not as much, not yet, for customers. We're seeing more of it than we did like five years ago. Sales calls we, that I've taken this year, I'll say probably half of them to 60% are businesses that have been formed since COVID. Yep, I would uh, I would agree. And I think we're seeing an uptick in in customers that that don't decide to go forward with us because of pricing. Mm-hmm. Uh, John and I actually looked at it this morning, like the customers that the deals that we moved to the lost column in our sales pipeline, we we actually tag them in, I guess, five or six tags, uh, non-responsive. If they don't respond, you're just wasting your time. Uh, pricing, they went with a competitor, not a good fit for growth, et cetera, et cetera. Number five on Porter's Five Forces is the threat of substitute. Now, this is like all over tax Twitter, right? Everybody wants to talk about uh, the impact of AI, the impact of um, replacing the accountant. So these five forces are actually kind of interesting in our business, right? And what is, and you, everybody's like, what the heck does this have to do with acquisitions? Well, think about it. If there's, if there's a lot of competition in the industry, what's your immediate reaction? Well, we, we're better together. So let's go out and consolidate the industry. All right. So come competition in the industry. There is a lot of competition. There's a direct, direct. Uh, the big one though here is a potential for new entrants. Like the barrier to entry in this business is quite low. And when the cost, when cost of capital is rising and the market expectations of the purchase price for a new, for a business is anywhere between 0.8 and Mm 2.0, that's a tough pill to swallow when that same person that just sold you that business could technically, you know, assuming you didn't have a non-solicitation, they could technically turn around and start that business all all over again and find a whole new customer base and all new employees like starting over in this business is freaking easy yeah there's no there's no capex here i don't have to drop a million dollars to invest in a factory right and i i think an interesting discussion will be you know what will the uh, revenue multiple of firms in this space deals in this space look like over the next three years? They're going to drop because if the power, if the power of suppliers who are your employees and with the backdrop of inflation, a tightening labor market, right? I mean, a lot of that has eased up a bit, but no, this is not like, this is not 2010 all over again. Okay. So the cost of capital is going up. The cost of your supply employees is going up. Um, what does that do to EBITDA? And is your revenue going up in the same way? Or can I uh, adjust the revenue up in the same way? No, especially on a transaction, you're not going to, you're not going to adjust pricing for the customer, right? You might, you might do that in a year when you, when they've been here for a year, but you're not going to like mess with the customer relationship by jacking up the price on day one. Now let's talk about the power of customers because in any acquisition, like what's one of the first things 
that you do. You, you reach out, you talk to you talk to the people. Right. You're reaching out, you're talking to the customers. Well, at least you should. And we need to do a better job of that. We're just busy. But the power of the customer in this business, yeah, they have choices. But man, this is worse than like changing your mobile phone supplier. And I'm not taking customers for granted, right? But it is a heavy lift to like change process, especially when there you click with the person across the desk, right? Across the video. Um, you know that that person, there's partial tribal knowledge, par partial standard operating procedures, partial documentation, right? It's like a little bit of that insurance policy. It's not a power of the customer here. Right now, it's, I would say, medium. Mm -hmm. I do believe it's going to change. I do believe that the power of the customer is going to increase significantly in the next five years because there's going to be a lot of indirect competition. And that's the, that's the last one, threat of substitutes. Yeah, because so I think as um, more customers... Uh, we talked about a few things. Integrate the employees, integrate the tech stack, integrate the customers, integrate the owners, right? Um, the integrating the customers is a, co a combination of the tech stack and the customers, right? Because you have to build that relationship with the customer because ultimately we are a people business. We are people industry. We've got employees that, that have to be happy, satisfied to ensure that they deliver great service and you're delivering to people, business owners, right? And they have the choice to continue. They have the choice to move on. Um, and that, that tech stack, right? You, uh, We've kind of seen standardization of the tech stack, adoption of the tech stack, whether that's cloud-based general ledgers, whether that's cloud-based bill pay. I'm not talking about any particular vendor, but there's like adoption of that right now in mm -hmm. this space. And customers over the next four or five years are going to get more homogeneous in their adoption of that, right? Yeah. The, there's not going to be like, well, what is bill.com? What is Melia? Or what is zero, right? Um, what do you mean you can't print out a check and sign it and mail it? So, not oh, I, I think the challenge over the next like five years is getting the, getting the the customer base up to that that standardized, uh, not not standardized on a particular vendor, but standardized on that tech stack, right? And that's going to be the challenge, and that's going to be a big factor of determining future pricing. We meet with a lot of our accounting community members. I don't hear as much about acquisitions recently. What are your thoughts? What are you hearing? Well, I think, um, you know, there's there's been acquisitions that have been happening and it is not easy, right? You've got to integrate all of those different sides of the equation, right? Some of them are technical, some of them are people, but what do we what do we put pricing of these deals on? On pretty much revenue, right? At least at least that's like what the what the conversation is about because that's what the current business, current firm owner has built, right? They built revenue and they've serviced revenue. And so it makes, even if you're looking at, even if the mentality is like, what is that on a revenue basis, right? And overall, you know, between 0.8, I'll say 1.5 has been kind of like the the range of like deals that that, that we've seen our peers kind of transact up to, up to two, but it gets harder and harder to, you know, justify that when there's not an easy one-to-one -one replacement, right? There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that's additional work to bring that revenue in from one firm to another firm. And I think that's gonna be uh, increasingly focused on in future like deals in this space. But I think in overall, I think that there's been, a, there's gonna be like a cooling off of like acquisitions because those firms that are uh, at a place where they can do acquisitions are looking to do acquisitions are interested in that. I think that they're learning 
grow, you know, obviously growing, learning from the deals that they've made and, and kind of at that place of like, hey, you know, like, I'm not going to like speed through this because the cost of capital is rising. There's other other dynamics that are changing that they kind of want to like let the let the dust settle, let the, the waves kind of even right. out a little bit. And then it's you got to also manage the risk, right? You got to be able to under, identify the risk. You got to be able to uh, figure out a way to measure that risk and then ultimately manage it, manage it away, eliminate it, transfer, right? You got to figure out the risk component is because it's not, it's not just like, oh, hey, I'll, I'll buy this, I'll pay that and we're done. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that go into play. Does, what if a customer leaves? How do you value that customer and the weight of the re revenue that the customer brought on? How does that adjust the purchase price going forward? It's That's an easy one. Really, lawyers pretty much get that. Uh, what happens if one of your key team members walk out the door the day after you sign? Right. What's the implication to the to the acquirer? Well, it sucks. Not a good situation, right? Uh, we've had we've had transactions where, you know, within within a few weeks, some of the I wouldn't say they were key, but some of the employees just wasn't going to be a fit, and so we had to like let them go, or they moved on on their own. Yeah. What about what, what is about, that? What risk? about uh, revenue concentration? Right. How do you price that into a huge? Right. Revenue concentration is huge in the small accounting world. Uh, what about like? past quality of work, right? Quality of earnings or quality of work, whether, whether it's from an, a, an employee that botched stuff up that, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm buying that revenue. It doesn't actually come to light until I get the, I get the customer and the customer comes in kind of pissed off. Right. And it uh, usually doesn't come to light immediately because let's be honest, the first like 60 to 90 days, you're focused on two of the three things you just mentioned. Employees and technology. And then you realize after 90 days, the quality of the work for a, and it doesn't have to be systemic, right? It could be one off or two off, but you're still paid. You still paid the same for that customer revenue. And then on the flip side, you put that customer revenue at risk. Yeah, totally. And therefore, you deteriorate the value of the okay. transaction. Exactly. And I'm not saying that when you when you do a deal as a buyer, you're not trying to offload all the risk to the seller. Right, because that's not fair. Then why the hell would anybody sell? Right. What I'm saying is, the buyer and the seller has to come to an agreement on the the risk. Identify what is the risk, even if it feels like, oh, that'll never happen. Well, bullshit. Of course, it's going to happen. It can happen. Anything can happen. Yeah, and that's and, and part of the what you're what you're motivating towards is uh, anything under like 10, 15 people. Right. The uh, individual or individuals that are going to need to. Uh, move that customer and that customer relationship from one firm to another, there's like one to three people that are going to be like totally influential in that. Right. And if they're not on, on board, it's, it's not going to happen. Right. They, they can, they, they have all the sway in, in helping that customer move, whether it's tech, different technology, whether it's different team, whether it's different, just a different company, like my engagement letter, my invoice is coming from a different company, right? Whatever the case may be, right? There's one to three people that are going to be like key to making sure that that transition is able to be successful. And so that you're, you're aligning, not just like trying to offload the risk, right? But you're trying to motivate, like you still have a role to play um, through that transition process. Even though we transacted already, now we have to get those customers moved over. 
So back to concentration risk. Concentration risk isn't just something that has to do with customers, but concentration risk also, there's a component of concentration risk with employees. And it doesn't just have to be the, the owner that is the previous owner that's selling. Oh, no, yeah. um, but or you find a you find an opportunity where the owner wants to come join your team, but yet, you know, that owner has like 80% of the underlying customer activity in their head, that owner happens to walk out the door. How do you manage that risk? We're not talking just employees, right? Employees is also another issue. Like think about think about our business, Steve, where on the accounting front, every customer, regardless if you're just a plain vanilla bookkeeping customer, cash basis, or if you're, you know, a $20 million venture backed startup on a accrual basis with board of directors, everybody here has at least two team members. You have a bookkeeper or staff accountant, and you have a senior accounting manager or a controller at the helm. Mm-hmm. But if your team like ours, we have concentration risk. We don't have a whole lot of like, we don't have the deepest bench when it comes to reviewers and controllers. We don't. That in of itself is a concentration risk on our own business. Imagine buying mm-hmm. a business where the reviewer, the controller, you know, the sort of the intellectual, the keys to the intellectual part of what we do here, it, it just like resides with just two people. Yeah, it gets back. And one person leaves gets back to the power of the suppliers. It's not just like finding new suppliers, new employees, right? Good luck. It's the power of the, the existing suppliers, the existing employees, and the, the, the concentration risk that they have in their the, the portfolio of uh, customers they serve. So I think part of what has fueled a lot of the excitement in the last five years around acquisitions in our industry is because, yes, there is there is headwinds in this business, retirement, folks not coming into the industry, folks leaving the industry, right? There's a lot of like opportunity for consolidations, for roll-ups. I think the brokers have really played a role in hyping up and um, these outrageous like numbers that are out there. Remember, when buying a company, it's not just about, oh, uh, $1 per revenue, right? Yeah. Par. I'm, I'm buying a par, right? There's more to this. It's purchase price and cash flow. Cash flow is something that we always forget about, right? Because cash flow is really what keeps everybody honest. As soon as you let go of that first dollar, adios. I'm going to be sipping a cocktail by the pool in Hawaii. And uh, I'm not saying that's what cash flow. I'm not saying that the, uh, the who who we have bought businesses from that's their plan, oh, no. right? That's not what we're saying, but. That's if it were me, and that's what we tell our customers, you bank on that first dollar. Right. right. Anything after that first dollar, it's just icing on the cake. Then you're, you're talking about the cash flows deal structure, right? How much is how much is delivered the day of signing? And is it on year one? Is it year two? Is it year three? Or you know, what what that what does that look like in the deal? Because there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power in that. You know, I remember when you and I first met and we started talking about how to, you know, how to divvy up the business, if you will. And I used to tell you, I was like, you know, Steve, I don't put a whole lot of emphasis in the uh, quote unquote intrinsic value of these businesses. Even today, when I'm talking to a professional services customer. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, yeah, wow, you're sitting on a gold mine here. You're going to be able to sell this for 1.5 times revenue. That's bullshit, right? 
because you need to have a ready and willing buyer and you need to have like everything needs to be aligned. Yeah, no, you're, and it all comes back to cash. Yeah, cash flow. That's something we haven't talked about in this episode yet. Is is, is that intrinsic value, right? Because there, there's not intrinsic value. I don't have any inventory. Yeah, sure. You, if you want to come in here and sell my desks and computers, good. You know, good luck, right? Good but willing. It's it's all in That's that. It's all in goodwill. that. Yeah. It's it's all in it's in, the, it's in the relationships you have, the the t- uh, type of revenue you have. You know, what are the what are the systems processes you have as a company? How much of it is like transactional? How much of it is recurring? How much of your business really is more like a platform? Like I can buy for us, I can buy, I can buy as a customer buy growth labs service. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think I know what I'm going to get right on day one, rather than I'm, I'm going to buy services from Dan versus Steven. Right. Even early in still, That's what it was. If, if we have a CFO customer, is it more in line with what Dan could, you know, experience support or what Steven could experience? Plus the customer work keeps everything real. Right. right? That's what, that's what we're here for. So that intrinsic value, there's, there's not intrinsic value in these businesses. What it comes down to, and then it comes down to like the the the, the deal structure, cash flow, and how much of the how many of the customers you can bring over and keep on keep on board and employees. So one of the things that I'm looking forward to, in terms of non organic growth, in the coming twelve months, one I'd love to see us getting back into advertising. I think we've just as a company de-emphasized it a lot. We've we've dabbled in it. We were actually pretty successful. I mean, we still have customers from our 2020 or 2019 uh, Google AdWords, push. right? Yeah. Push. Um, it's just like we, we couldn't handle, like you, you can't do two things, right? You can't be doing outbound sales, inbound marketing, and then paid advertising because it's, it's very content. It's very content intensive. And co- when you're creating content, the shit just like it just dr- drains your brain. And so there's only so much you can type of content you can create. I mean, even being here in front of a camera talking about acquisitions, our experience in fog and bookkeeping, talking about like where we see uh, acquisitions and other, call it diversifying our organic growth. This is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, So I'm looking, I'd love to see us truly build out and, um, search engine advertising strategy that knocks it out of the park without killing our cost, uh, customer acquisition cost. Secondly, acquihires. Acquihires and or, uh, I do believe like in tax, I've been very open with the tax team. I do believe like the next person we bring into our tax team, our tax department, is probably going to be an acquihire. Somebody who has a book of business and is looking to is looking for a different experience. Three, retiring workforce. A lot of these folks who are retiring, they have deep relationships with their tax customers, but yet their tax customers is just shit books. Shit books. There's no accounting. The last thing the last thing a retiring accountant wants to do is like get into new technology, doing journal entries, paying your bills. Like they're kind of over that. Like I would be too, right? I would, yeah. I don't want to be running payroll. Yeah, and they're paying bills. They have ten years worth of like history with customers, and you know they they know how the customer works, and they can put the tax return together and have good solid confidence in that. But they don't have good books. Two different things. 
But that's a great opportunity for us, right? Where we can bring in a customer, de novo, essentially hand it to us. Like that's what, that's what happens here. They hand it to us. And then we know that they need accounting. The customer wants accounting. That's our sweet spot. It's a win-win. And it's allowing some of these, at least the two that we're kind of hanging out with right now, it's allowing them to kind of retire at their own pace, mm-hmm. to offload customers without without creating. It, let's face it, it doesn't create waves for their customers, and it doesn't create waves for us because we, you know, they will can stick around, and, and whether it's for three months or three years, they can continue to service what they have been servicing, and we can cross sell them on other services here at Growth Lab, and I, I think that's. Uh, this isn't about sales pipeline, but I, we've seen a lot more cross-selling in the last 12 months than we have in the previous 36, 48 months. Yeah, we've seen a big uptick in um, not just like, yeah, we've seen a big uptick in cross-selling. Any other thoughts for no, the I'm, day? I'm really, I'm really interested to see where, for me, like where do revenue multiples go in the next, of actual transacted deals in the next three years? Um, I'll be curious about that, and, and I'd be curious about looking at that historically to date um, with some of the broker friends. Well, if Ernst & Young, unfortunately, they didn't get to price out the uh, consulting side of their business, that would have been interesting to see what multiple uh, the uh, capital markets would have put on E&Y's other side of the business. <clears throat> As the auditors got the squeeze, yeah. E&Y decided, yeah, this probably isn't for us. <laughs> We're better off together. <laughs> Harmony. With that said, Megan is moving on as of May 31st. We're very excited for her and her uh, next endeavor. We believe that the Fogden bookkeeping acquisition has been very successful. Uh, we are uh, probably about 105 days into this, maybe 110 days into this. Our team are, I mean, I, I got to tell you, my team is just like total rock stars. Uh, Katie, Ingrid, Haley, Mary, and Lacadia, not to mention Mike. I mean, it's Just been doing... it's been a big lift, yeah. and um, we're we're excited for the team. We're excited for our new new uh, customers. Open arms, changing things up, changing it our way. There are things we just don't do anymore that we left behind back in 2015 with the old days at Grinnell and Fall River. Um, it's just not our business model. And, uh, but for the most part, customers have been, they've actually been receptive to this. So I'm stoked. Yeah, go back to like, we sell cadence, rigor, and team. So I said that to uh, one of the former uh, Fogden customers. I said cadence, rigor, and team, and their wealth manager actually had written that down. And then at the end, they were doing a recap. Uh, I had recorded the the, the recording um, and he pulled it out and he said, Dan, you're right. Cadence. It's all about cadence. I was like, it has to be about cadence. It has to be about cadence. It's part of the value you bring. We bring to customers is giving them giving them cadence. Because yes, we all can like, we all love to just deal with the next thing, right? Um, uh, especially like in the hospitality space, right? You can have a lot of like chaos. But part of the value, it's going to be painful, but delivering cadence, rigor with a with a solid team. Cool. All right, folks. Thanks, everyone.